it's only when we have the death of our Lord Jesus, the God who created all things, when we have His death, that then life is able to enter in. It's really only through the cross that we can be truly, in a sense, pro-life. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and His promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. And here we are for another edition of Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline, and my co-host is on the road. You know, you can only handle so much of Pastor Wolfmiller before you send him on the road. And uh, today he's recording uh, from Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Pastor Wolfmiller, how are you? Good. I was going to say that we have Pastor Graff with us in studio, except for the studio is his office. <laughs> Yes, and, and the pastor then of, of Grace Lutheran Church is uh, Pastor Warren Graff. Pastor Graff, thank you for joining us for Table Talk Radio. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we have a great lineup for Table Talk Radio. First, we're playing Bible B. Um, I don't know why, but Pastor Wolfman like, keeps wanting to play this game, even though he always loses. Um, but after that, we're playing it's uh, the Theology also... of the Cross, Evan. They, they <laughs> teach you that in your third year at the seminary, Theology of the Cross. Well, they have this new curriculum at the seminary now. We're, we're learning that right off the bat. All about Tentatio and all of that. That's, that's great. Well, I mean, I guess as soon as you move into the Rule of St. Benedict Dorm or wherever you are, that's how it starts. So, Yeah, it's, it's learned by the school of experience. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then we're playing uh, Name That Politician, kind of a, a twist to our game, uh, Name That Theologian. Um, and then after that, uh, we're talking about The, the New Atheist, um, a, a book that's uh, recently come out by Christopher Hitchens, God is Not Great. Uh, we're going to be talking about that book and then ending up uh, listening and responding to listener email. So uh, that's the lineup for Table Talk Radio. It's a pretty good lineup. And I was wondering if our contestants are ready for Bible Bee. Ready, Evan. Ready. Ready. All right. Uh, Pastor Graf, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, give you your verse first. And this first round is worth uh, 100 points. And uh, we give you an entire verse. And I suppose I should probably turn to my Bible in the in the verse I'm, I'm giving you here. The listeners can remember that with Table Talk Radio, the points don't matter. That's right. The points are like Bibles in a Unitarian church. They don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pastor Graf, your verse is, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. That sounds like the Gospel of Mark. That is correct. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist our games here, uh, Pastor Wolfmiller. Uh, would this verse then be law and or gospel? That verse would be law and gospel. It's a verse that's used in our catechism. It speaks of this gift of baptism, that this salvation, as Peter says, that it brings us salvation, it brings us life. And so this gift of baptism brings us life, and yet... We always hear these questions about, is baptism necessary, etc. Of course, that's not a question we're taught to ask in Scripture. We don't go to the gifts of Jesus and all of a sudden look at Jesus and say, I, I do or I do not think this is a necessary gift. So that the hand of faith 
openly receives these gifts in all thankfulness. Yet we do see that we don't have to ask questions about what of that person who was on his way to baptism and, and uh, got run over by a truck on the way, is he, is he saved or not? Of, of course we can rejoice that his faith was clinging to this Jesus, was looking forward to this gift of baptism, and that is the faith breathed in by the Holy Spirit, the faith that is saving. So it, it, it's this beautiful gospel that is baptism that saves, that faith clings to baptism. And there is always then on the backside of that the sting of the law that apart from this faith, we're on our own, and that's not good. That's right, and 100 points for uh, your correct response there. And now it comes to Pastor Wolfmiller's turn. Pastor Wolfmiller, are you ready? Sure. Okay, round one then. Your verse is, Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Oh, now look, okay, so this is an Old Testament, a prophetic uh, one, and this is the call uh, to a judicial hearing. Now, you always think that you've stumped me on this one, but I think uh, that book, which has the um, the courtroom and the prophets uh, in the Old Testament, at least uh, one of them, is going to be the book of... Uh, uh, Malachi. Boy, you know, I, I my goal here is to stump you on on the Bible B, but this time you're still wrong. <laughs> this is the book of Micah. Oh, oh, Micah. Micah 6.1. Yes, yes, I should have known Micah, not Malik. Oh, all right, you got me again. Yeah, this is uh, this is beautiful, actually, the whole format of Micah. I, I should have, ah, uh, is, is this back and forth with uh, with God and with Micah. It, it's, a, it's a courtroom scene, really, between uh, God and the prophet. And, and there the prophet is... Uh, is standing in the council of God, um, uh, and there's this judgment that uh, that's being made. Uh, in fact, Pastor Graf and I have talked about this uh, very mm-hmm. thing before. Um, what's going on in Micah there? With, I mean, that would that would bring us to the Lord's gospel. Well, I think what you said is is right. It is this call to this courtroom, which is uh, again law and gospel, because as the Lord has people standing in his courtroom, it's it brings us into. For instance, the, uh, the scene we see in Isaiah 6, where the sinner can only say, woe is me, I'm unclean. And yet from this courtroom, there is this judicial argument going on. And the law comes forth that the sinner must die. But then the, the Lord has placed an advocate there. And that advocate is, as we later know him by name, Jesus Christ the righteous. But this is the Son of God, our advocate, he is pleading our case, interceding for us in this courtroom, and the intercession is heard, answered, and it, that is our salvation. This same courtroom then, the same courtroom scene, seen in Micah or in Isaiah, Amos, and other prophets, is brought down to us here on earth through the mouth of the prophet, so that the prophet is announcing, is declaring, is revealing this deliberation and accomplishment of the heavenly courtroom. Which is, which is the beautiful Christology of it, because then on the scene comes the final prophet, the prophet of all prophets, Jesus. And when he is on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, that is the advocacy from his mouth to his Father that saves every sinner. So it's a beautiful for us as Christians to keep in mind this, this courtroom scene, that this is our salvation and, and our daily comfort. Very good. Uh, Pastor Wilmer, can I give him your points? <laughs> I 
thought I thought you would do that. <laughs> uh, yes, because the points are like the doctrine of election to the Southern Baptists. In other words, they don't matter. You can give them to whoever. <laughs> All right, then in that case, uh, Pastor Graf is is uh, entering round two of Bible Week with two hundred points. Unheard Pastor of. Wolf Miller, Pastor Wolf Miller, zero. All right, let's go to round two then. Patrick Graff, are you ready for your round two? I, I believe so. Okay, now you get five words, and I keep these words in order, but I might uh, skip over and hit the main word to try and give an indication of what verses could possibly be. Uh, but your five words are, man become like one of us. I don't, I'm, I don't know. It almost sounds like something that Paul was writing in Galatians. Oh, I bet if I if I added more words, you would get this. Uh, let's do it this way. Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Ah! Oh man, you get. This. I'm I'm going to I'm going to take a wild guess and go with Genesis. That is correct. Now this is <laughs> this is Genesis uh, chapter three, verse twenty-two. Let me go ahead and finish reading the rest of that. Um, he is knowing good and evil, and now lest he stretch his hand. And take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Yes, and 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 this verse is, um, of, of course, again we can say law and gospel. It's this, it's this beautiful setting of the scene of where the Lord then, having seen man sin and bring sin into his whole lineage, is then determined to go and save man, and that then that's what we see. Well, throughout the rest of Scripture, we can say, but but throughout Genesis, where a man thought that in taking the apple he was becoming like God, knowing good and evil. Well, I'm, now I'm getting uh, confused on the context of that verse, but but it is it is this um, it is this following up of man having made himself sinful, and now he knows good and evil. Yeah, what becomes clear from it is that when God created man to have life and to uh, uh, and to live there with his, with his, uh, with Eve in the garden, and to have his vocation that the Lord had given Adam and Eve everything good. And now, what enters in with the devil, and with death, and with sin, is the knowledge of evil, um, which is really the loss of the image of God, which he, he gave us in the beginning, the original righteousness and innocence and blessedness, uh, and a perfect fear, love, and trust in Him. So it is. I mean, it's one of the most um, horrible. Uh, te- text in the scripture where, where Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, but, but then we see the whole Bible is the Lord's plot and the Lord's work to bring them back uh, into that perfect fellowship, both, not only with, just with God but, but with each other uh, and, and in the end uh, the, the, the tree of life uh, is there in the new heaven and the, in the new earth with the righteousness that the Lord gives uh, for us to feast on forever and we're going to have to take a pause there uh, as it's time to go to our break, but then we'll continue Bible B when we get back on Table Talk Radio. Right after this break, we'll be right back continuing round two of Bible B. Martin Luther says that the most common idol in all of the world is the idol of money that we trust in it, that we fear losing it, that we think that because we have it, we're secure. Here at Table Talk Radio, we have the solution for this idolatry. Click the Donate Now button on our website, and you will support the ongoing efforts of Table Talk Radio to spread this word of God throughout the world. If you would like to help with the financial needs of Table Talk Radio, just click the Donate button on our website. 
tabletalkradio.org. Well, when the drive was over, the riders would not pay. To all you happy people, this is much I have to say. Go back to your friends and loved ones. Tell others not to go to the God-forsaken country they call New Mexico. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, here we are uh, in the middle of recording uh, Table Talk Radio with Pastor Brian Wilfner from Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he's there with a the pastor of that congregation, Pastor Warren Graff. <laughs> nice bump, Evan. Nice bump. <laughs> oh, brother. Well, we're in the middle of playing Bible V, uh, middle of round two. Now, Pastor Graff, um, w- w- because of your excellent explanation of, of that one, I'm still going to give you 200 points, uh, bringing you to 400. And Pastor Wolfmiller is still showing scoreless. Um, <laughs> I'm ready for round two, though. Come on, Evan. Round two. Give All right. Two. Here, you, here are your five words. Are you ready? Ready. Every man is stupid, devoid. Those are your five words. Every man is stupid, devoid. What kind of what version are you doing there? The uh, uh, good news for today's man or something? <laughs> What are you working with? No, no, no. This is, this is the New American Standard Bible. Every man is stupid. Um, look, I, I, this sounds an awful lot like what Paul will say in Romans 2. Uh, I just don't remember the word stupid there, but there Paul is giving this litany of verses from the Psalms. So I'm going to guess the book of Psalms. Hey, good guess, and you'd be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 14, and the entire verse says, Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful, and there is no breath in them. Oh, well, that's right. I mean, this is, and that's true. That, I mean, this prophetic word, the prophets are always calling um, Israel and the world to repentance for breaking the first commandment and having other gods, and especially, it's especially the idols which are deaf uh, and dumb. They don't hear, they don't speak, they have no life. And because of that, the prophets are gonna are really gonna slam into them and say, "Look, we we worship the living God. It's the living God who gives us life, and your worship of these of these idols is is completely meaningless." Um, so, anyways, any points for the explanation there, Evan? Yeah, um, I'll give you one point. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, the, the score boy. going into round three is four hundred to one. And uh, Pastor Graf, I'll give you your one word now. And uh, I have to admit, this is a pretty common word in the Holy Scriptures, so it, it could be all over. But um, I think there, there's one in particular, um, maybe the one that's quoted the, the most often that, that uh, you'll get here. And your one word is murder. Then I will guess that's Exodus in our Lord's Ten Commandments. That is correct. Uh, more specifically, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Yeah, I'm glad you picked the hard ones here, Evan. You shall not murder. So your your final showing then, Pastor Graf, is uh, 700 points. And uh, as we stand right now, Pastor Wolfmiller has one little measly point. Look, I'm going to go for the daily double on the last round, though. (laughs) Well, do I get extra points if I say whether the Lord's Ten Commandments are law or gospel? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Would that be law or gospel? (laughs) I, I will I will go with law on that. Though I'm sure Pastor Wolf Mueller may have a uh, a good argument otherwise. <laughs> okay, well we'll do it this way on, on this <laughs> on this last round. If you get it right, then 
you double your points. So there's another 700, uh, giving you 1,400. Patrick, <laughs> you can double your points too, though. Okay. <laughs> now I have two? That's all right. That's all right. Uh, th- we remember that the uh, the points for Table Talk Radio are like an organist in the praise band. They don't matter. <laughs> I'm going to run out of all my jokes on this first segment. All right, all right I'm ready. Give me my word, Evan. I'm sure to, even though I've never really guessed right ever in this game, I'm sure to get this one right. Well, you might. Your one word is Nicolations. Nicolations. Hey, that's from the book of Revelation. Right. <laughs> so you got one. Oh, man, finally. It's, uh, the Nicol- Nicolations or Nicoli- Jesus uh, is warning... Um, one of the seven, this is in the seven letters to the seven churches, and he's warning uh, one of the churches to beware of the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, however you would like to say it. Uh, I don't know what the Nicolaitans uh, believed. Uh, I don't know if anyone does, but they were false teachers there in the early church. Which and Now that tells you something, doesn't it, Evan? I mean, when did Jesus send those letters to the churches? I mean, some people say maybe 90 uh, A.D. Other people would say it's before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So you got... Uh, you know, 50, 60 years after the Lord's death and ascension, and there's troublers in the church. And we see it even earlier when in Paul's letters uh, that the church is always contending against false doctrine and against errors. Uh, and the Lord Jesus wants the church to contend against false doctrine and errors um, because it's the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Lord's word that that saves us. It gives us our salvation and our hope and life. So you I can't a, believe I got one right. Uh, you have a final showing of 301 points. Uh, to Pastor Graf's uh, 1,400 points. So if it's something to be proud of, I guess, Pastor Wolfman. I don't know. but Not really. The, remember the points are like the double bacon breakfast special at the Denny's in Jerusalem. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. The hits just keep on coming. I'll yes, tell right. you what. <laughs> well, let's move on then to our next game. Uh, this is kind of a spinoff of our game, Name That Theologian. Only we're playing Name That Politician. And I'll go ahead and, and play. Or is Pastor Graf on the hot spot then? Pastor Wolfmuller, is this how we're yes. working? All right. He's the one. I am ready. Okay, well, here is your politician. At what point does a baby get human rights, in your view? Well, you know, I, I think that whether you're looking at it from a theological perspective or uh, a scientific perspective, uh, answering that question with specificity uh, you know, is is uh, above my pay grade. Uh, but, but 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 let me let me let me just speak more generally about the issue of abortion because uh, this is something I uh, obviously the country wrestles with. Uh, one thing that I'm absolutely convinced of is that there is a moral and ethical element to this issue, uh, and so I, I think anybody who tries to deny the moral difficulties and gravity of the abortion issue, I think, is, is not paying attention. So, 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 so that'd be point number one. But point number two, uh, I, am, I am pro-choice. I believe in Roe versus Wade. And, and I, I come to that conclusion not because I'm pro-abortion, but because ultimately I don't think women make these decisions casually. I think they... they they wrestle with these things in profound ways, in consultation with their pastors or their uh, spouses or their, their, their doctors and their family members. Um, and so for me, 
the goal right now should be, and this is where I think we can find common ground, and by the way, I've now inserted this into the Democratic Party platform, uh -huh. is how do we reduce the number of abortions? Because the fact is, is that uh, although we've had a president who's opposed to abortion over the last eight years, abortions have not gone down. And, have, have and, and ever, that, I think, is something that we have, have to ask. Have you ever to. voted to limit or reduce abortions? Well, the, the, I am in favor, for example, of limits on late-term abortions, if there is an exception for the mother's health. Now, from the perspective of those who uh, you know, are pro-life, uh, pro mm -hmm. I think they would consider that inadequate. Mm -hmm. And I respect their views. I mean, one of the things that I've always said is, is that on this particular issue, um, you know, if you believe that life begins at conception, mm -hmm. then and you are consistent in that belief, then I can't argue with you on that. All right. Any idea? This is a tough one. Do you have any ideas who that politician might be? Well, I believe you played one of the finest politicians of our time, <laughs> that being Pastor Rick Warren. That is correct. <laughs> but, but then also it sounds like Pastor Rick Warren was speaking with uh, one of Pastor Jeremiah Wright's parishioners, Barack Obama. And, and who, who is also one of the better politicians of our time? And and that was the one we were we were looking for. Oh, okay, very good. <laughs> uh, what do you make of his response? Uh, I I think this is a um, I I think it's a very a very good response for us to consider because I mean you know in the press what we heard was, of course, Barack Obama being lambasted for saying it was above his, pre his pay grade. And, and there's much to be said in the political realm for that, of if things of life and death should be considered above a politician's pay grade, etc. But, but I think as Christians, there's something more profound for us to consider here. And w one is that Barack Obama said at the end of that that this is a decision that we should not take from the woman because this is a decision that the woman never takes lightly. And I think there's something important there because as Christians, when we're, when we're contending for pro-life, we are, I think, sometimes treating it as if the other side does not take the decision of abortion seriously. And Barack Obama is here saying, no, they do. And, and this is where we might want to rethink some of this because I think Barack Obama is probably right on this. And if I could, I'd like to bring in a quote from Camille Paglia. And for anyone who doesn't know who Camille Paglia is, she, she has always been a strong voice of feminism. In her own personal life, she's lived with her, with, with her, um, her mate, who is a, a girlfriend, a, a fellow female. She comes from a Roman Catholic background. Uh, but it's Camille Paglia. Her name is spelled P-A-G-L-I-A. So it would be Paglia. It would, would appear, but it's but Camille Polly, if I can read uh, two paragraphs here about what she writes, and what we can be listening for here is the way that she, Camille Paglia, as a feminist and a, as a, someone who defends the so-called right to abortion, listen to how she puts the question. We're going to have to do that on the other side of the break. I think we're coming up to a stop here, Evan. Is that right? That's right. I was just getting ready to, to say that. So let's, let's go ahead and get that uh, quotation right after this break as we're playing Name That 
uh, politician, and more with uh, Pastor Graf from uh, Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as Pastor Wolfner is live on location. Well, sort of live. It's live as we record. <laughs> so we'll be right back. More Table Talk Radio right after. But politics, religion, and her. No more politics, I know what's next Call me hypocrite and burn down bridges I got a river running through my neck I got a river running through my heart And all the blood spills runs to the ocean While the oceans rise up Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, we're in the middle of playing Name That Politician, and we're discussing uh, uh, Senator Obama's response to Rick Warren's question, when does a baby get uh, human rights? And we're with uh, Pastor Warren Graff of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he's just getting ready to quote for us a quotation by, is it Camelia Polly? Is that who it was? Camille Pollia. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes, and, and this, this is a column. She's a, she's a known writer, especially in feminist circles. This is a column that can be found in uh on the internet at www.salon uh and that, that's of course w- one of these journals one of these magazines that writes for the the very liberal community the feminist community uh and some of those things so this would be the September issue of Salon and Camille Paglia speaking of abortion and this is in the context of she's talking about the vice presidential candidate uh uh from from Alaska Sarah Palin and how Sarah Palin then is causing trouble in the feminist community of how to react to her. So this is what Camille Paglia writes about abortion. Let's take the issue of abortion rights, of which I am a firm supporter, writes Camille Paglia. As an atheist and libertarian, I believe that government must stay completely out of the sphere of personal choice. Every individual has an absolute right to control his or her body. And then I'm going to skip a few sentences and get to her argument but the pro-life position and this is interesting to hear what Camille says about the pro-life position the pro-life position she says whether or not it is based on religious orthodoxy is more ethically highly evolved than my own tenant of unconstrained access to abortion on demand now that that's a very powerful statement she makes she's admitting that the pro-life position is more ethical. So now we can hear the rest of her argument then of why abortion should be allowed. My argument, as in my first book, Sexual Personae, has always been that nature has a master plan pushing every species toward procreation and that it is our right and even obligation as rational human beings to defy nature's fascism. Nature herself is a mass murderer, making casual, cruel experiments and condemning 10,000 to die so that one more fit will live and thrive. Hence, I have always frankly admitted that abortion is murder. The extermination of the powerless by the powerful. Liberals, for the most part, have shrunk from facing the ethical consequences of their embrace of abortion, which results in the annihilation of concrete individuals and not just clumps of insensate tissue. The state in my view, has no authority whatever to intervene in the biological processes of any woman's body, which nature has implanted there before birth, and hence before that woman's entrance into society and citizenship. 
thus far Camille Paglia. If we boil down what she has said, it would seem to be this. She is saying that abortion is indeed murder. But the resistance to the pro-life line then comes not at the point of determining when life does or not begin. And this is where it's important for us Christians, because if we're arguing to the abortionist, such as Camille Paglia, such as Barack Obama, whatever, if we're arguing to them that you can't abort because life begins at the age of conception, that argument makes sense to us, but it does not resonate with them because that's not what they base their pro-abortion argument on to begin with. What Camille Paglia is saying is that she wants to resist the fascism of nature and of evolution, this fascism then that binds people together in a mass and steals their individuality from them. Now, we would agree with that, that evolutionism does exactly that. But to resist this fascism of evolutionism, she wants to treat the woman as an individual. To treat the woman as an individual, the woman then must have a right over her own body so that the right to abort a child, which she agrees is murder, is necessary so that the woman can be seen as an individual. So that essentially, th- Pastor Graf, what's going on here is, is the argument is not uh, so much that uh, we, we need to be opposed uh, to abortion because, um, excuse me, be in favor of abortion because uh, it's, it's ending human life, but it, it's infringing. We're becoming, women are becoming less of an individual. They don't have their own individual rights or, you know, losing what they fought so hard for so far in society. Is that right? Yes, and, and, and that then informs us of how, if, if we were, for instance, sitting down with Camille Paglia or someone such as her at Starbucks and we're trying to convince them that it's not good to abort children because it's killing a child, that argument would go nowhere with Camille Paglia because she's admitting that it's killing a child. But she's admitting that it's killing a child that, that is a killing that is necessary for the good of having the woman as an individual. So now the question would be, as Christians, how do we speak to people like Camille Paglia, like Barack Obama? And we can see why he would say it's above his pay grade. He would not want to get into this justification for abortion as he's answering Pastor Rick Warren. So it's better for him probably just to drive by the question and not address it. But how do we respond to someone like this in a way that lets them see the creative hand, the loving hand of our Lord? And it would seem to me then that we need to, first of all, understand their argument, which is easy to do. We can read Camille Paglia's writings. We can read others. Understand their argument and then come at them not with an argument that a baby is living and therefore it's murder to kill one, but rather come at them with an argument of, do you want to respect women as individuals? To which, of course, they would want to agree. And then we will show them the one who has taught us how to respect women, the one who has held women in the highest regard, so that Mary, his own mother, is most highly favored among all women, so that Adam, in the beginning at creation, is not even a complete man until he has his counterpart, his God-given wife next to him. So we can show them that this gift of wife, this gift of motherhood, this gift of family, is not a diminishment of a woman at all. It is not swallowing her up into a hole in, in a way that she loses herself. Rather, it is embracing the woman with the highest regard that she has from God. It is honoring her 
knowing that there's no higher honor than to be given to bear children, to bring forth life, to extol life and support life. And in this, we now have women held in a higher regard than feminism can ever pretend to. Let's continue on in our in our game, uh, Name That Politician. And uh, our next politician uh, is actually answering the same question. So uh, the best of luck to you in guessing who this is. Uh, but here's that audio. <laughs> Uh, what point is a baby entitled to human rights? At the moment of conception. I have a 25-year pro-life record in the Congress, in the Senate, and as President of the United States, I will be a pro-life president, and this presidency will have pro-life policies. That's my commitment. That's my commitment to you. Okay. We don't have to go longer on that one. Any, any idea, Pastor Graff, who that could possibly be? <laughs> I, I will step out on a limb and say that is uh, Senator McCain. Uh, but but it, it's an uh, almost refreshing answer he gave, isn't it? Where, when as Christians we pray for our government every week, we pray for the president, the Congress, those who would make and administer the laws, that they may bring justice to the evildoer, that they may protect the weak and the innocent. And and it is good to see a, an answer that is able to say that we are to protect life. It really is that simple and that beautiful. If it's a stunning kind of um, to compare the. The answer that Obama gave, and that and that we had from um, from Camille Apalia, uh, this idea of if if you have evolution, it's nothing more than the reign of death. I mean, evolution mm-hmm. is that 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 nature works through death to somehow advance something yes, itself. The, 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 uh, the, the strong must kill the weak, or else evolution won't work, and the species will not progress. And so you have in abortion, you have fighting back this reign of death with more death. Mm-hmm. It's only when we have the death of our Lord Jesus, the God who created all things, when we have his death, that then life is able to enter in. Uh, it's really only through the cross that we can be truly, in a sense, uh, pro-life. Because when we see the blood of God shed and we see the death of God um, the, and the resurrection, the coming out of the tomb of God, uh, that life is brought, uh, life is brought into the midst of our own death and sorrow. Uh, and so, this is good to to say that it is it is Jesus who is uh, pro life because he gives us in his death eternal life, uh, and that that is the only option then uh, for Christians as we consider our vocation as citizens in this earth. That's right. Well, uh, I guess that does that conclude then our game of of name that politician. I was trying to steal some points uh, with that final uh, discussion there. Oh, well, why don't, why don't you tell us what those points mean in this game? <laughs> oh, here, i got to get to my... Uh, oh, the points are like seminarian goog- gag Google. <laughs> seminarian gag lines, just met? good looks. <laughs> uh, seminarian gag lines, good looks, which are completely wasted on radio. <laughs> That's <so>. right. <laughs> and it's a shame, too. <laughs> yeah, it, oh, yeah. Hey, sure. don't forget to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org, uh, where uh, maybe Pastor Wolfner could post some of his uh, hilarious jokes on there, and you can get uh, some of your, your laughs at tabletalkradio.org. But actually, we have, we have uh, several articles that Pastor Wolfner has written that you can, uh, you can look at. Um, also, we have a, a forum 
And in fact, we were, uh, there's a, a string right now discussing this very issue about uh, Senator Obama's response. So you as a listener can, can log on to tabletalkradio.org, click the forum link, and then respond to give your two cents what you think about this topic. More Table Talk Radio right after this. Well, you can tell by the way I use my thesis of the book is that it's going to be a choice between civilization and religion. And the enemies of civilization, the, the theocrats, and the religious fanatics, really mean it this time. Uh, they, if you look at the way that the parties of God are destroying Iraq, or the way that the people who believe in the tooth fairy called the hidden imam mm-hmm. are about to get nuclear weapons in Iran, or the uh, nutcase uh, settlers on the West Bank, who think they can bring on a Jewish Messiah and bring about the end of the world, whose best friends in the United States are people like the late Reverend Falwell, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the fanatical Christians, who also think it would be clever to teach creationism in schools and stultify American children. You see what I'm talking about now. That was Christopher Hitchens, author of the new book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio, final segment of the program. We're still joined by Pastor Graf of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Pastor Wolf from the Christopher Hitchens accounts himself among the so-called new atheists. Yeah, and it's just good to point out that really the distinction between the old atheists and the new atheists is that the old atheists sort of said that religion is wrong and it might be dangerous. Uh, the new atheists have this particular emphasis on the fact that religion is dangerous. I mean, it's really the mar- new atheism was born on September 11th where they could say, look, you got faith. It means you want to kill people. It means you want to destroy civilization. And, and they blame it on faith, uh, not on what your faith is in. So that the new atheists would see, would see Christians and, uh, and radical Hindus and radical Islamic fascists uh, as the same sort of thing. They all believe in something that's not demonstrated by reason. Uh, and so really there is a strong movement um, to... To, to overcome religion. And Christopher Hitchens and, um, and Sam Harris and these guys are, are, leading, the, um, are leading the fight against, this, um, against religion, really. So, but this is, the problem is we wanna, I think we want to move in our conversations with atheists from this formal principle about just having faith and, and versus trusting in science. I think we want to move uh, beyond this to actually kind of a material principle discussion. What is it that you believe in? Um, but I think that you, you're holding in your hand there, Evan, a clip of, of, um, of Harris taking on the gospel and, and actually engaging with what Christianity teaches. Yeah, this is a clip actually from Christopher Hitchens. Is it moral to believe that your sins, yours and mine, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, can be forgiven by the punishment of another person? Is it ethical to believe that? I would submit that the doctrine of vicarious redemption by human sacrifice is utterly immoral. I might, if I wished, if I knew any of you, you were my friends, or even if I didn't know you, but I just loved the idea of you. Compulsory love is another sickly element of Christianity, by the way. But suppose, I could say, look, you're in debt. I've just made a lot of money out of a God-bashing book. I'll pay your debts for you. Maybe you'll pay me back someday, but for now I can get you out of trouble. I could say, if I really loved someone who'd been sentenced to prison, if I could find a way of saying I'd serve your sentence, I'd try and do it. I could do what Sidney Carton does. 
in the tale of two cities. If you like, I'm very unlikely to do this unless you've been incredibly sweet to me. I'll take your place on the scaffold, but I can't take away your responsibilities. I can't forgive what you did. I can't say you didn't do it. I can't make you washed clean. The name for that in primitive Middle Eastern society was, was scapegoating. You pile the sins of the tribe on a goat, you drive that goat into the desert to die of thirst and hunger, and you think you've taken away the sins of the tribe. A positively immoral doctrine that abolishes the concept of personal responsibility on which all ethics and all morality must depend. Pastor Graf, what do you make of Hitchens' comments there? Well, if I may make a quick comment on just Hitchens, who he is and, and uh, why it's worth us listening to him. He, he is a legitimate voice. Um, if, if you look back, he comes from the 70s, from, from an Oxford movement. He comes from a family where his brother, Peter Hitchens, is a known Tory conservative writer in England. And it's worth going on the Internet and, and reading what Peter Hitchens has wrote about their upbringing, where he says that the, the family life described by Christopher Hitchens as children is not the one he knew. But the point is that they grew up in just general Christianity, you might say, in England. Christopher Hitchens did grow up singing the liturgy. But when you read Peter, his brother, who, who is still uh, a Christian, when you read his description of it, it's a Christianity which is based on the beauty of the liturgy, maybe, is based on a tradition of the church, but it is not based on a clear proclamation of a God who creates and then a God who becomes man and redeems. So one would almost have to ask, what is the background of Christopher Hitchens? But in any case, he is a credible voice because he's one of these who's always been a voice of the liberals. He was a Trotskyist back in the 70s. Uh, he has uh, always been a big basher of President Bush, except when something like the Iraq War comes along. He goes to Iraq. He looks at it. There's accounts that he's written on the Internet that are interesting and fun to read about how he goes into Iraq with a bottle of, uh, of bourbon, if I remember right, in his hand, uh, has his life on the line as he's looking at these villagers living through this liberation. Um, so he's worth reading. He's credible. And it, it, he's a voice we should listen to. So... From that, I would like to then just step to another thought, and that is this, th that this Christianity that Hitchens describes, that Christopher Hitchens describes, is not that far off and is maybe much closer to what Christianity is than a lot of preaching that, that uh, maybe we ourselves do sometimes and that we hear in the church. For, for, for an instance of this, just consider someone we spoke about earlier, Rick Warren. When Rick Warren was introducing Senator Obama and Senator McCain, he more than once said that faith is a worldview. That is Rick Warren's description of what faith is. It's a worldview. We can be thankful to Christopher Hitchens that he is able to describe faith in a more Pauline way, a more Christian way, than Pastor Rick Warren is able to describe it because Christopher Hitchens goes right to the point of what the problem of faith is. It is a human sacrifice on the cross, which either does or does not atone for the sins of the world. Christopher Hitchens, of course, is contending that it does not atone for these sins. But is this just not exactly what Paul is talking about when he's describing the offense of the cross? It is an offense. It is a stumbling block to both Jews and Greeks. 
because it is not rational. It, it is not a worldview, as Pastor Rick Warren would say. It is faith in a man, Christ Jesus. His blood was shed, and it either does or does not atone. And so we can be thankful to Christopher Hitchens, it would seem to me, for this clarity that he brings, that we can learn from him what it is that we as Christians are given to say to the world. We're given to go to the world not with a superior worldview, not with a superior way of understanding politics or economics or anything else, but we're given to go to the world with a very material proclamation. There is a man, Christ Jesus, who has shed his blood, and that blood atones for my sins, for your sins, and the sins of the world. It is that proclamation that belongs to the Holy Spirit, that as it is breathed into people, it is breathing in the Holy Spirit and his life. Uh, Pastor, we have a, about a, a little over a minute left in this in this program. Uh, in, in that minute, would you discuss then uh, how how you'd react to then Hitchens' comment that we heard? Um, you, you just you just talked about the the forgiveness that's won through the, through the the cross, the, the blood of Christ. Uh, but then Hitchens com, comes back and says, "Look, you got to take personal responsibility for the things that you've done." How do you respond? Well, again, I think we need to to uh, be thankful to Christopher Hitchens for his clarity. If he is seeing the Christian community give a proclamation that lets us act as if we're not responsible for our sins because they've all been forgiven by Jesus, then he is rightly identifying a weakness in our proclamation. Not in the proclamation given by the prophets and the apostles, but in the way that maybe we've brought it across. There, There is, after all, this distinction between left-hand and right-hand kingdom, between life of flesh, life of faith. And while our life of faith clings to this forgiveness of the scapegoat, Jesus Christ, we also know that in our life of flesh, there is this responsibility of the law. So that as Christians, we can actually rejoice that when we are guilty of uh, hurting our neighbor, lying to our neighbor, deceiving uh, of, of even speeding in a car or something, we can rejoice that our sinful flesh is mortified by the law given to rule this world. So even on our way to jail, as, as we're uh, giving thanks to our Lord that his atoning blood has cleansed us and sanctified us and made us holy without spot or blemish before the Father in heaven, we can also give thanks that this law is having its way on our, sinful, our life of sinful flesh here on earth. Amen. That's going to be it for Table Talk Radio today. I want to thank Pastor Warren Graff uh, at Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, for being with us. Well, thank you. It's an, an honor to be invited. Thank you very much. Pastor Wolf, are there any final uh, Evan, words? Evan, yeah, go ahead. Aren't you going to thank me for being involved as well, or what's going on here? Maybe you should apologize for being involved. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a way to let's bring it out. The Jews. This is Paul. What he says here, First Corinthians uh, chapter one. The Jews seek after a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. It's the foolishness of God that's wiser than men, and the weakness of God that's stronger than men. That'll be it. Uh, Tune again next time, same time, same place, uh, for more Table Talk Radio. See you next time. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts, and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to 
questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.